Okay, so on to some other cultural references. So the Passion of the Christ shows up in some of the trad wave videos. What do you make of it? What's the consensus, the deal? You know, honestly, when I first put it in, I thought it was a little cheesy and I still do. You know, it's just like the go-to, but uh, there's just nothing like a good bloody sacrifice to show. Mm. Sometimes you just do that, you know? We love Plus, I think the star of that movie, honestly, is Our Lady. Yeah. It's, it's not go. It's not uh, Jim Casaviel. He's great. And it's not um, Monica Bellucci. It's mm -hmm. actually the Virgin Mary. She's the best. She's the star of that movie. Yeah. Um, I don't like it because of Mel Gibson. Because you're not supposed to like him. But no, for real. Um, I think what he's getting at is like really... I think it's kind of Protestant and some trads get upset about that, but like the spirituality of look at how much your sins make him suffer now feel guilty and stop sinning. That doesn't really resonate with me. Like, I think it's, I mean, it's true and it's beautiful, but I don't stop sinning because I feel bad for crucifying Jesus. I stop sinning because he's more attractive than like the attraction of sin. And this is why I think Pasolini's gospel according to Matthew is better. But um, as a work of art, like, you know, it's a passion play. It's drawing on a medieval tradition. And I think some of the scenes are extremely insightful, like um, the scourging at the pillar and she's watching him and she flashes back to when he was a kid and when he fell and she goes to catch him and then she goes to like run after him as he's being scourged so like those things are really nice um i also like the veronica was it the veronica no no it was um as he's carrying the cross you see mom magdalene and john following along the way and like every little step he looks and they crack through and they, they crack through post-modernity and they see him and they just keep going and i'm like i mean these are the three like essential archetypes for me because you have like i mean i'm gonna get canceled by the trads for this but like you have john who you know if we're gonna like really get into this i want to say it, he is the archetype of the young male youth who's looking up to the master, which is a classical Greek archetype. It's Plato and um, uh, what's his name? Yeah, whatever. The one who's like attracted to him in that way. I'm not going to say it, but you know what I'm talking about. But Dude, I've always said he's the art student. I've, al sure. I've always said he's the art kid. That's, we'll the, word that. That's the word they use. But we're on the same page. He's the youngest one. He's emotionally like a little less mature, very attached. And I'm not implying there is something impure about it, but that is the archetype. Like there is a, yeah. I'll say it, there's a homoerotic tension. And I don't mean sexual. I mean erotic in the true sense of the word. Oh, yeah. um, but it's totally pure. And that is like an important archetype. It's very real. So you have him, you have Magdalene, who's the whore. And I know the woke people get upset about that. But, you know, whether she was historically or not, she represents the whore. The one who yeah. is the woman who's very beautiful, 
who feels affirmed by male attention, uses her sexuality to feel like she matters, but ultimately has a really huge gap hole in her heart that needs to be filled and he fulfills it. And you have the mom, which is the greatest of the archetypes um, who accompanies the child through the suffering to the, all the way to the cross. So like to see that each step of the way they're going there and they see him like this is uh, I love that. No, yeah, that's great. I'm glad that you hit those. I've always told people like, I think John the Baptist is the archive of the group. John the Apostle. Uh, the Apostle. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. John the Baptist uh, is a whole other archetype. That's the kind. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. We don't oh, that. No, John the Apostle, John the Evangelist, um, Big John, Big J. Uh, yeah, definitely the archive for sure. Um, no, I like that. Uh, you know, especially... <laughs> Especially as younger, I thought the best, the best shot was like when they're following him, and then you see Satan in the crowd. Yeah, Satan being androgynous mm -hmm. with the baby. With the baby. Mm -mm. That yeah. is so. But you know what? Suspiria tops that because Noel Gibson was trying to make this inversion, this perfect inversion of Madonna and Child, and Luca Guadagnino, whatever. Mm -hmm uh and did it better and more eviler in uh, suspiria with without the child but you know still in a, a, the dark inversion of madonna but yeah i mean i the thing with the passion is man any version of the passion you're gonna have some people say well i just don't think they harped on this point compared to that point because it's the passion of christ that transcends everything you can look at that in so many angles in so many ways it's impossible to appease everybody with it because yeah. it is the passion of god so he, 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 yeah, he hit one side of it you know he hit a bloody yeah. simplistic view of it there's a time but what i did like you know is that he kept it to mary that was the best part if he didn't yeah. keep it to mary it wouldn't be as good no and there's a, there's a decadent impulse because I think like you see the bloody crucifix motif in Spanish Baroque art or like any like Roman, you know, Latin in that sense of the word art, which draws me very much. But this goes back to my whole like, okay, aesthetics is the entryway, but at the end of the day, what saves you is something else. And I say that because like, when I'm when people I know who are not like very religious see that movie, they're very turned off, at least the ones I know, because unless you have an experience of faith that allows you to make sense of to contextualize the violence, it really does turn you off like it's it's a violent type of spirituality to say that like oh stop sinning because you crucified him and like, I don't know that's not what's going to get me through uh this side of life you know like that's why i think pasolini as someone who was you know kind of conflicted person he was a queer marxist who you know couldn't shake off his italian roots the italian catholic thing like it was so simple the way that he was like christ is not the one who makes you feel guilty for your sins he's like the ultimate human who draws you with his true humanity i think that's what I don't know. That's why it's my favorite of the religious movies. And I don't like religious movies in general, but you do have to see it. I know. I, I don't know why. I've always had it on my list. I really have. 
I mean, I love Pasolini. I love Salo, of course. Yes, Hello. Of course we do. I hate when people like try to give the Marxist reading of it when really it's the antithesis of Marx. It's it's like, I think the most powerful statement in favor of God or theism, at least, like if there's no God, nothing is sacred and now everything is valid. All forms of violent abuse are okay. It's not Marx. Right. And yeah, it's like your atheist manifesto of like, if you want that, that's as good as it's going to get. Like you can't, you know, it's, yeah. it, but it, Salo enters on the idea of what we were talking about earlier, where we know that's evil. Like what they're doing, everybody's going to walk out of that theater saying, shit, that sucked. That was bad. That's why Dasad is awesome. Cause he's like so evil, but he's like, yes, I'm evil. I'm like, yeah, great. People need to read Dasad. I mean, it's really disturbing. I don't know if you've ever read it, but like, he's a fucked up guy. The product well, of I, I education too. And it's, I mean, you got to know evil because you got to know what you want to be against and you want, you got to know the horror of yeah. it. You know, there's a good prayer, you know, for my guardian angel to ask to give me horror of sin. It's like, you ever see Climax by Gaspar Noé? No. It came out a couple years ago. What is that? Oh, it's so good. It's like an hour and a half hell ride of these. It's just the premise is these, uh, these 90s French kids are practicing for a dance like rehearsal or they're doing a dance rehearsal in this like sweaty, gross, flesh colored gym mm -hmm. and or like little auditorium and somebody spikes their punch with heavy amounts of LSD and nobody knows oh. and then just hits them. And the set is literally made as a spiral and it just, keep, you know, cause you have the main room that you can go out and then boom, 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 boom. It's just a big spiral into madness. And, you know, some of the, there's one shot, it's 45 minutes. He just follows them It's almost all improv. But I watched that with my friend. I was like, dude, that's literally fucking hell. That's Dante's Inferno right there. They cover every single subject with the exception of child rape and cannibalism everything else is on the table. It's literally the descent into madness. And it's just like, this is hell. I've never seen anybody make Dante's Inferno like this. Yeah. It's there. Um, it's art. It's beautiful. But it knows evil is evil in that one, at least, because everybody can walk away with being like, what the hell was that? Thank God they can. At least nobody's trying to claim that Climax is this, you know, brave story no everyone walks out being like gosh that was a, that was a shit show yeah that's what happened when solo came out in italy like people were vomiting in the aisles and running out yeah i love that i love yeah. a, i love a good you know it, that's a whole conversation of horror and, and yeah. shock and all but that's for another day mm. so shall we go on to the decalogue sure have you seen, how many of them have you seen? I've seen the first four. Okay. I know I need to work on it. Yeah. So you can hit me with the first four. The, the one that I knew the most is the first one, yeah. which honestly might be the, the best. It took me so three far. years to watch all 10. So it, it's a and lot. Keith Lasky, uh, oh yeah, it's like, do you really want to watch something that depressing? You know, like I, I'm <laughs> Polish. Man, is Poland in the winter suck? I don't want to look at that. Uh, yeah. yeah, the first one though. Um, 
I mean, first, I just love the series because, like, the fact that you're making a series about the Ten Commandments and it's, like, nothing biblical at all. It's just so artsy-fartsy that, like, just really takes you by surprise. And I love the fact that, like, art hoes love that film. Like, the MoMA, there was a period of time where they would show it every, like, all ten of the series every Holy Week. The fact that, like, that kind of crowd... It's awesome. And he was an atheist. He wasn't even religious. Really? Yeah, he was. I mean, he said he I was. He wasn't he a true atheist. Yeah. I mean, I figured he wasn't practicing, but... He said he was an atheist, but maybe it was for the edge. I don't know. But... I think it was, because did... He was one of those atheists. He's like Pasolini. That, or not Pasolini. Who's the other one? Um, the other Eni. Fellini. Fellini. They're Fellini. so hardcore atheists. They're, they're convincing themselves they're atheists, but they know they're not. They're not. Especially if you're from Italy. Like, exactly. And he's from Poland. Poland's, you got to remember, Poland's yeah, the no. Eastern Poland, Italy. version of Italy. They're not. Yeah. They just want to keep themselves that they are. But when I watched the first Decalogue, dude, like I watched that in cinema class. We all turned it on. I was crying like a little bitch at the end. <laughs> and it was so powerful. You so cried? Really? But why did you cry? Was it a I don't think Gosh. it's upsetting. I laugh when he dies because I'm like, haha, you thought you could calculate everything and now your son's dead. Stupid. No, I was crying for the beauty. I was crying over the visual beauty of using the holy water being yeah. frozen. Yeah. In the structure. That was beautiful. And they just shoot that shot of Our Lady of Chenjohova and just the, the the water coming down from the tears, and then he goes to he goes to bless himself, and it's frozen like his heart. Gosh. But it melts, it melts slowly but surely. But um, yeah. I mean, I love all the like small implicit symbols of like the milk. The milk is a great symbol. Also, the, the absent, yeah. mysterious mother figure, the mother being the church, the spiritual element, which has been ousted by communist Poland. But is wow. there, yes, there's all this stuff that he did. Like, yeah, so you have the mother who he's like programs for scheduling yeah. to the computer. And, you know, then you have the aunt who kind of steps in, who's bringing in the spiritual element. The church is gone, but is coming back. Now the communism has fallen. But that's when, like, when he goes into the church, he knocks over the altar and Mary cries. Um, but the milk, the milk is the best because the first time the milk shows up, the kid, Pavel, sees the, the dead dog and he asks the father, what is death? And he gives a very pragmatic biological answer. He's like, but is that it? And he's like, well, you know, some people say there's a soul, but like, I mean, not really. And he pours the milk into the coffee and it curdles because it's sour. So the milk, what they're nourishing the children with is sour. It does not fulfill, it doesn't nourish you, but then it gets better because he goes to school and the, there's like a news reporter and he's ta they're talking to the principal and the principal's like, yeah, the kids have been pouring the milk, the school milk down the toilet. So they don't like it. And they're like, oh, so what did you do? And they're like, well, we lock the toilets so they can't pour the milk out. So it's like, rather than addressing what is wrong with what we're feeding these children, let's just like deny it all. Um, but the beauty is the children are the ones that know that's bad. By yes, this is the whole thing. 
it's the child who asks the question and who is like full of curiosity and then dies. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. But that's the way to go. That's the way it goes. Because you know what? Tsukislavski, if he was an atheist or whatever, he, know, he, he was like, oh, this is such a horrible thing. This kid's dead. That's the end of it. But we know that's not the end of it. We know that kid's probably in heaven. Absolutely. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, but like my whole thing is that you can still be an atheist and appreciate it on a level of like oh, yeah. reason because, you know, math and computers cannot calculate every aspect of reality. Leave God to the side. The fact that the ice cracked, there could be any explanation. Perhaps someone killed Pavel by like cracking the ice themselves and putting him under. Perhaps it was the man sitting by the lake with the fire who melted the ice like there's any other explanation besides god that could explain it so like a reasonable person atheist or not has to recognize that there are certain elements of life that cannot be measured with at least again with like these calculations um yeah who do you think the guy by the lake is like a lot of people say it's god uh You know what I think it is as a creator? I think it's a, an ambivalent symbol. And I think, mm. dude, like we gotta, you, you gotta give yourself something and say that a lot of people that make this shit, they know they're making something that could be anything and they know that that's what it is. Does the creator think he knows exactly what it is? I don't know. I doubt. But Kieslowski is somebody that literally functions only on sim symbols like he can only make something if it has some kind of symbolism and i mean look at you know blue blanco and rouge like it's everything has to be symbolic and follow a pattern so could he be his guardian angel well the guy fucked up <laughs> could he be god i don't know it's to me it just never really i never really cared it was kind of like the symbolism of kubrick when like it gets so ridiculous or so like deep but it doesn't really say much to me. It doesn't really mean much. So I say what he is, is an ambivalent symbol. Mm -hmm. yeah. the answer you no, I can see. I, I have no, I, I don't really know. I, I always hated when they cut to him because the shots always sucked. It was just him like, you know, I'm like, come on, man. Like, dude, my mom, when I showed it to her, she was even laughing at the amount of times they cut to him. Yeah. You know, he was trying to. I think that was the weakest part, honest, honestly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just fate. Maybe it's the Grim Reaper. That's the thing. There's so, there's too much. Mm. I don't know. But Here, it's, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, but that's the beauty of it. That, like, it really is left open to the audience to ponder. And I don't think he's lost me new either. Yeah, he doesn't have to. This is no. art. I don't know. I, I'm such a creationist when it comes to that stuff that like you have to know. Like if you're creating, you gotta know. Yeah. Somebody has to. Mm. You don't have to say it to anybody. No. But like, for example, Lynch knows everything, what everything means. He knows it could mean something else to somebody else. Yeah. But he has an answer for what he does. That's why I like his stuff so much because he damn well has something behind it it's not just doing it just to do it um he's mm. being a rightful creator god doesn't just do something just to do something he has an exact reason it could be open to interpretation for a lot of people 
but the creator knows damn well what they're doing. And if art is a sub-creation and we're imitating the creator, we've got to know damn well what we're doing and why. We can't just do something willy-nilly for the sake of it. Mm. I mean, but that's the logic of what? Like surrealism? Not exactly. Abstract art in a way. I don't know. Well, I mean, the way you come at like, you don't have to know everything you're going to do. Like, yeah, a lot of the stuff that I create at the end of the day, I look at it like, shit, that worked out perfectly. I didn't think that was going to happen at all. But then I have to come up with a reasoning why when, when that stuff happens. And if those two things click, if the luck of something happening well clicks mm -hmm. with the idea that it works with your topic or with whatever it is. Like I'm such a I'm such a, uh, uh, who's the guy? Back in my screenwriting class, Lagos Agri, such a character and theme proponent. I could give a shit about plot. It's theme and character are the most important. So you've got, and I am kind of a Kieslowski when it comes to, you've got to get your symbology down. Yeah. You don't have it. You know, Boring. so abstract arts, hey. yeah. you got to have some kind of like basis to it. You've got to, you've got to go from abstract to surreal. Uh, abstract, yeah. I could do it. Anybody can, come on. Yeah. Mm, so what about the other ones? What are your thoughts on the other decalogues that you've seen? Oh, man. I wish I could tell you. I think I watched them all. Like a, I, I like the one where she goes to the Christmas mass. Yeah. I wish I could talk more about the decalogue, but the only one I really remember is the first one. Like, I know there's that whole fly sequence in the whatever something and i just remember liking a lot the third one the one where she goes to christmas yeah. eve mass but i really couldn't tell you why or what you know the first one i just know because i've seen it so many times unfortunately yeah. no i've watched it probably like 20 times at this point the others I'm so are yeah no the others i need to watch them again and spend time with them because like there's just so much, it's so much to process, but that's why he's a genius. No, he is, he's by far, I mean, Kubrick wrote a very rare forward to his published screenplays. Yeah. Which uh, is insane. And, uh, you know, I, I do think Red is the best thing he's ever done. That's mm -hmm. such a easy take, but it's yeah. true. There's no, nothing is better than seeing that shot of her popping that bubble gum. Mm. Fuck me, man. That's the best thing I've ever seen. Mm. What else do we have on the agenda? Mm. Tell me about, oh, so Neon Genesis. People tell me about it. I tried watching a few minutes, but like I don't get anime. I don't know. I was gonna say, if you're not an anime fan, it's, you know. It's, yeah, what's it's the deal? Because I know people rave about it. They really stand by it. But yeah, what's the point? It's uh, it's extremely rich and explicit Christian imagery and Kabbalah imagery and religious mm -hmm. like, and why I say explicit is because like, mm, the guy is a genius that wrote it. He's a genius because he knows how to tackle psychological subjects for a children's show immensely well. Yeah. Um, and some people think that he just uses the religious imagery just because it looks nice. Like, for example, they've got three supercomputers 
in their command center and they're called, you know, Melkor, Balthazar, and Casper. Mm -hmm. you know, okay. There is a lance that's one of the creatures and it's called the Lance of Lodginess. Like some people just think it's just in there because it looks nice. Um, but what makes it so good is it appeals to the people that are into that aesthetic, like regardless if it's has something deep seated or not, because what's really important about that show is it started out as just your average like mecha series where it's just about giant fighting robots, even though these aren't robots, these are like something else. And then the dude like literally in episode 13 hit a fucking depressive moment and he, you can seriously see the stylistic change. And this is a children's show, a stylistic change of just, you know, like a Gundam Wing episode two. Oh my gosh, there is a 10 minute sequence where the character is in his subconscious, this Freudian state, and he's just narrating to himself what the hell he's doing with his life. Um, and then it stays on this extremely depressive, extremely introspective, weird psychoanalytical stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and mixed in with the extremely convoluted plot and the extremely religious imagery i think it's you know it's a de facto for tr you know, trads and a lot of people that are into that aesthetic that people that like that culty like religious symbolism but it's also got psychology but the film that it he basically has three endings for the show he's got the original ending which he had to do on an extremely low budget so it was super experimental and crazy and everyone protested against it so then he made a movie called the end of evangelion which is literally all right, well, this is how it really would end if I had money. Yeah. And it was pretty much an atheistic manifesto, very depressive and very despairing, but uh, kind of like your physical version. But then he came out with one. So he rebuilt the whole show. It's kind of a quasi sequel, kind of a quasi loop thing where he made four films and the last one took him six years to make. Mm -hmm. And it was like three hours long, but it, it ends... I'm not going to give it away, but it's because it's, it's quite the journey, but he, what I love about it is he leaves this depressive atheistic mantra and he kind of ends with this. I don't want to use the word, but he kind of ends with a based ending of just being like fucking close the fan fiction computer and go outside. That's why he ends on it when it's like this fandom of like crazy sci-fi robots and what's this mean? What's this mean? And he kind of ends where he's just saying, literally get married have kids and go outside that's i was like shit man and he ends it. he's like i'm never doing this ever again the the, the stage is like it's over and i thought well shit man this this is pretty uh pretty b-a-s-e-d mm. yeah, so what's the deal with anime though like i don't i just never got it but I know people like swear by it. It's their life. Well, there's also a very interesting connection between anime and trads. Yeah. And I think what it is, is kids that got bullied and kids that got made fun of watched yeah. anime. And now what's happening is, you know, you're seeing all those people, all the, all the kids that got bullied now because of social media and because of their influence. A generation later, they're the ones that are being the most popular and cool. Like now you have like football players that are touting that they watch anime and they like, you know, my favorite football player of the Steelers wore a Sasuke um, jersey or a Sasuke um, hoodie with his hair dyed blue when he signed to stay on the Steelers for another year. That's like crazy. Like you saw that 20 years ago, everyone 
make fun of him so much. Um, mm -hmm. But it's really like the medium for the outcasts. And the trads are weird as shit. We're fucking weird, man. We're the outcasts. And I know so many, like almost all of the trads that I know watch anime and they watch some weird shit. Mm -hmm. Like, well, no, I I know someone, someone leaving Latin mass with like some Naruto something on his backpack. So I guess, yeah. It, it, it's the medium for the outcast. And right now the trads feel outcasted, regardless if it's just because of their personality or it's because Francis or because anybody thinks they're mm -hmm. just being put in this corner. Whatever you want it to be it is the medium for the outcast because it's just this, it's a very emotionally centered, um, overtly over the top. And sometimes like when you have something like Bebop or when you have something like Evangelion or Berserk, very artistically aware and very artistically done. Um, and some of the stories, like the story of Berserk, which is a manga, pretty much borderlines a bride's head story, but it's about mm -hmm. medieval like fighters. Um, Interesting. And, you know, the creator died last year mid making it. So we have no idea what the ending is going to be, but his final panel that he wrote, that he drew was honestly one of those gorgeous things I've ever seen. And in regards to the story, it's like, you know, just imagine Sebastian coming back mm. and saying one line before he and then Charles could say something else, but then it ends. You don't know what they would say together. You just see Sebastian say one thing. Yeah. And it was like, what the fuck? yeah because like with the whole underdog thing i know here's our woke moment of the day i know that like it's becoming a thing for pocs to love anime because yeah the underdog narrative um like i've had a lot of young people i know who are people of color say that like yeah this is the new trend because we can relate to it and it makes us feel like we matter um so but no like a lot of people can re relate to the underdog thing but i definitely think it is like growing in certain uh subcultures at least within the u.s it's becoming yeah. cool though like as i remember when i was in elementary school like there were all the nerds who were trading their Yu-Gi-Oh cards and whatnot um but now it's like it is relatively cool yeah, no, it's and because it's it matches this 80s, 90s aesthetic, which is taking over all of everything right now. Mm.